0: Chapter forty of Wild Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Gough. Wild Wales by George Borrow. Chapter forty. I dined, or rather supped well, at the railroad inn. I beg its pardon, hotel for the word in at the present day is decidedly vulgar. I likewise slept well. How could I do otherwise, passing the night as I did, in an excellent bed, in a large, cool, quiet room? I arose rather late, went down to the coffee-room, and took my breakfast leisurely, after which I paid my bill, and strolled forth to observe the wonders of the place. Kyle Gibby, or Kibby's Town, is situated on the southern side of a bay on the north-western side of Anglesey. Close to it on the south-west is a very high headland, called in Welsh Gibby or the head of Kibby City, and in English Holly Head. On the north, across the bay, is another mountain of equal altitude, which, if I am not mistaken, bears in Welsh the name of Mynydd Llanfair, or St Mary's Mount. It is called Kibby's Town, from one Kibby, who, about the year 500, built a college here, to which youths noble and ignoble resorted from far and near. He was a native of David or Pembrokeshire, and was a friend, and for a long time a fellow labourer of St. David. Besides being learned, according to the standard of the time, he was a great walker, and from bronzing his countenance by frequent walking in the sun was generally called Kibbe Vellin. Which means tawny or yellow kibby. So much for kibby and his town. And now something about one whose memory haunted me much more than that of kibby during my stay at Hollyhead. Lewis Morris was born at a place called Trevor Birth in Anglesey in the year 1700. Anglesey or Mona has given birth to many illustrious men, but few, upon the whole, entitled to more honourable mention than himself. From a humble situation in life, for he served an apprentice to a cooper at Hollyhead, he raised himself by his industry and talents to affluence and distinction, became a landed proprietor in the county of Cardigan, and inspector of the royal domains and mines in Wales. Perhaps a man more generally accomplished never existed. He was a first-rate mechanic, an expert navigator, a great musician, both in theory and practice, and a poet of singular excellence. Of him it was said, and with truth, that he could build a ship and sail it, frame a harp and make it speak, write an ode, and set it to music. Yet that saying, eulogistic as it is, is far from expressing all the vast powers and acquirements of Lewis Morris. Though self-taught, he was confessedly the best Welsh scholar of his age, and was well versed in those cognate dialects of the Welsh, the Cornish, Armoric, Highland Gaelic, and Irish. He was likewise well acquainted with Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, had studied Anglo-Saxon with some success, and was a writer of bold and vigorous English. He was besides a good general antiquary, and for knowledge of ancient Welsh customs, traditions, and superstitions had no equal. Yet all has not been said which can be uttered in his praise. He had qualities of mind which entitled him to higher esteem than any accomplishment connected with intellect or skill. Amongst these were his noble generosity and sacrifice of self for the benefit of others. Weeks and months he was in the habit of devoting to the superintendence of the affairs of the widow and fatherless. One of his principal delights was to assist merit, to bring it before the world and to procure for it its proper estimation. It was he who first discovered the tuneful genius of blind parry. It was he who first put the harp into his hand it was he who first gave him scientific instruction it was he who cheered him with encouragement and assisted him with gold it was he who instructed the celebrated evan evans in the ancient language of wales enabling that talented but eccentric individual to read the pages of the red book of hergest as easily as those of the welsh bible it was he who corrected his verses with matchless skill "'refining and polishing them till they became well worthy of being read by posterity. "'It was he who gave him advice, which, had it been followed, would have made the prydith here, "'as he called himself, one of the most illustrious Welshmen of the last century. "'And it was he who first told his countrymen that there was a youth of Anglesey "'whose genius, if properly encouraged, promised fair to rival that of Milton.' one of the most eloquent letters ever written is one by him in which he descants upon the beauties of certain poems of goronwy owen the latent genius of whose early boyhood he had observed whom he had clothed educated and assisted up to the period when he was ordained a minister of the church and whom he finally rescued from a state bordering on starvation in london procuring for him an honourable appointment in the new world immortality to lewis morris but immortality he has won, even as his illustrious pupil has said, who in his elegy upon his benefactor, written in America, in the four-and-twenty measures, at a time when Goronwy had not heard the Welsh language spoken for more than twenty years, has words to the following effect. As long as bardic law shall last, science and learning be cherished, the language and blood of the Britons undefiled, song be heard on Parnassus, heaven and earth be in existence, foam beyond the surge, and water in the river, the name of Lewis of Mon shall be held in grateful remembrance. End of chapter 40